All right. Join me, if you will, in Isaiah 41, verses 8 through 13. That's where we're going to be today. Um, title of today's message is His Calling Stands. And it was actually really interesting. Uh, I wrote this message yesterday, and uh, or finished writing it yesterday, I should say. And right as I was, I was finished, I was reading back through one of the verses in here and thinking about, about the title. And the Lord just gave me a song. And uh, so I started singing. And about 30 minutes later, I had a whole song written out. And it was really, really quite amazing on my part, because I'm not much of a songwriter. But here it was. And I was very blessed by it, and hopefully I'll be able to share it with you one day. But I'm actually going to start us off um, with a quote from Isaiah 40, a verse from Isaiah 40, verses 7 and 8. Well, the prophet speaks, The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You know, it says that people are like grass. And Psalms 144, verse 4, um, says that our lives are but a breath. And yet so very often, um, it's easy for us to focus on the things of this life as if they were the... uh, the more important or the defining, the defining forces of our life. And that's just not true, you know. And so um, a lot of times our circumstances, what we have, what we lack, what we uh, can or cannot do with our circumstances, uh, those things begin to shape our attitudes. They can, uh, they can take away the peace that we should have in the Lord. And sometimes... We, we make decisions, a lot of decisions, solely based on what we can see going on around us and what it moves us to, rather it's in fear or anxiety or, or in uh, any of these emotions, right? And so there's some pretty universal longings of this life that we have, you know, that we all share things like security, looking for security in our life. Finances, which can be part of that security, are our personal health, beauty, significance. You know, that's a big one. I don't think most people think about that, but everybody wants to be significant somewhere, wants to have some impact, some purpose somewhere, right? But in Ecclesiastes, in the very first chapter in verse 2, the teacher says, "All all is vanity. Vanity of vanities, he says. And, you know, you you look up the word uh, vanity, and part of that definition is worthlessness, right? We think a lot about vanity as kind of people being absorbed with themselves and how they look, and it's because it's worthless pride. But vanity, in in a sense, means worthless. And so is it good to have beauty and significance and and, uh, finances and these things? Yes, it is. But to be consumed with those things is vanity. It's worthless, you know? And a lot of times we can get caught up in these things when the reality is that we become blinded um, from the longings of our hearts, that these longings of our hearts are things that really we can't fill. 
because whatever you get, we have to have more. Um, these are things that are going to pass away. They're things that you can't guarantee, you can't hang on to, right? Um, beauty fades, wealth diminishes, and our lives here, even that, ends at some point. Now we know that for us it continues on, but here on this earth this is all very temporal. But God's word, however, God's word stands forever. Which means that the truth and the power and the promise and the purpose and the mission of God's word stands forever. Past all those things, in spite of the abundance or lack of those things. And that's, that's the real, man, whew, that's the real good part right there. God's word never fades. It doesn't change. It doesn't depart from its purpose. And whatever God has spoken for us or over us will stand true forever. Into the next life. But there is that that one thing, the last, the, the last thing I listed as we talked about the longings of this life, that significance, that purpose, that kind of an inner security, if you will, of who we are. Are we worthy? Do we have value? That one becomes, I think, for many people, the hardest one. See, we have to understand, though, that God has not spoken insignificance over us. God has not spoken defeat or lacking over our lives. But rather, God has spoken blessing, significance, right? And it says that we shall lack no good thing if we walk un uprightly. But the question that I get caught with so much is in the face of these promises, the fact that we're called even to eternal life, right? And that the, the eternal things of God are far surpass whatever we can focus on here, whatever worries we have here, right? The question that always comes back is, well, how can we be sure? Or I see people who, okay, they know that, they understand that up here, but the confidence in that, I mean, as far as... In the moment of their life, right now, the confidence of that, it lacks. And it's a struggle for many, many Christians. Uh, I'd even say maybe most Christians. How can we be sure? Because even if they know God is there somewhere, God's around somewhere, you know, we were pretty confident maybe he's real. The struggles seem real, real. And one of my favorite sayings is things get real, real, real fast, you know, and they do. So what, what happens is as our, our focus fluctuates, and I think we all go through this, right? And we start looking at the struggles and the longings of our life, and we, we stumble sometimes, we fall, we don't feel like we measure up maybe. Um, maybe we maybe we believe God has significance for us, but maybe we don't feel like we're reaching it, what we're supposed to. There's these questions like, well, where is that line in my relationship or, with God where God says, you know what, that's enough of this guy. 
that's enough. You know, it's it's really strange to me, but I guess it shouldn't be, that uh, especially with with new believers, the co- the the thing I hear is, uh, well, doesn't God get tired of me coming and praying for forgiveness all the time? Doesn't He get tired of hearing that? You know, I, I feel like I shouldn't even pray anymore because I don't want to bug Him. You know, like God's got this huge agenda and we're not in it somewhere. Where is that line where God says enough and says, you know what, you had your chance? How much do we have to bring to the table in our relationship with the Lord? And where, does, where is God going to be? Where, where is he going to stand when everything falls apart in our life, especially if it's our fault? You know, I think some people say, well, you know, if you're in the midst of a crisis and it has nothing to do with you, yeah, God might save you, but if it's your fault, if you caused it, well, you're on your own. So where is God in the midst of these things? So let's go ahead and let's read Isaiah 40, verses 8 through 13, and that's where we're going to put our focus for the remainder of today. In chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 41, I apologize. Chapter 41, verses 8 through 13. But you, Israel, are my servant. Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who were incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing, and those who strive with you shall perish. You shall seek them and not find them. Those who contended with you, those who war against you, shall be as nothing, as a non-existent thing. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand saying to you, fear not, I will help you. Man, this is an amazing passage to me. In fact, uh, Isaiah 41.10 is one of my memory verses for good reason. But it's interesting, we have to understand what's going on here. God is speaking right now to a sinful, rebellious people. He's not speaking to, you know, the teacher's pet who got everything right and is sitting up next to his desk telling other people how to do it. He's talking to people who have rebelled. He's talking to the same people who in verse 14, what we read in our um, call to worship, he said, fear not, Jacob, you worm. You know, that's one of those descriptions that's kind of right there with being a lamb for the slaughter. That's what are you trying to say here? The same people that God has allowed to be taken captive by the Babylonians, sent off out of their land, and put under foreign rule. These same people. And yet he says, when we go back to verse 8, 
to these people in the time of captivity, he says, my servant, Jacob, my servant. In the midst of this, he says, Jacob, whom I've chosen. I've chosen. And he says, descendants of Abraham, my friends. You know, Romans 11 tells us that we as Gentiles, unless anybody here is Jewish, that's cool, I'm not, not that I know of, I could be, I don't know, but uh, that we as Gentiles, that we have actually been grafted in to the holy roots, the holy foundation of God's people. We have been grafted in as branches right next to Israel. And Romans 11 tells us if the root is holy, baby, we all holy. I'm okay with that description. And so we too, like Israel, are God's people. And so we too, like Israel, have been called servant, chosen, friend. And just as Abraham is called his friends and that they are descendants of Abraham, we also know from Paul's words that we are descendants of Abraham by faith. For Abraham believed and it was accounted to him as righteousness. We are called as a servants. We're called as those who have been chosen by God. And we have been called by God as friends. And why is that important? Because God's word stands. God's word is not affected by your circumstances. God's word, in fact, works true to his word in spite of our circumstances, in spite of our feelings, in spite of our beauty and our security and our finances and our health seemingly fading. Or when we feel like we're not where we should be or we feel like, man, well, I've really messed up. God's word stands in the midst of those circumstances and he says, you are chosen. You are my servant. You are my friend. And that does not change. You know, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, and I'm sorry, I don't know if I put that up for y'all. Um, Ephesians 2, 8 for 9 says that it's by grace that you have all been saved through faith, if you have indeed put your faith in Jesus Christ, and that it's not of yourselves. Your salvation is not of you. My salvation is not of me, but it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. And what's crazy is not even that faith, that faith that justifies you is your own. Not even that is your own. You know, no one woke up one day and said, you know, today's a really good day to be faithful. If you did, tell me what type of alarm clock you use, because I want that one. Right? In fact, let's look at Abraham. Abraham didn't seek out God and become righteous along the way. Abraham was Abram in Ur of the Chaldeans, a Gentile man. There were no Jews. And God called to Abram and said, leave your father and your household and go to the land where I will show you. And he went. And he messed up. He took his family. 
He waited for his father to die, took all his stuff, took his cousins, and then went. And then he got to it and said, yeah, there's a famine. I'm going to go over here. And God didn't say, well, on to the next one. He said, okay, let's come back this way. And he led him through all these times. And again and again, God spoke to him until God, God himself gave Abraham the promise. And it wasn't according to Abraham's work. He didn't say, you know, you got to go climb that hill and fight that beast and kill that giant. It was God's unconditional promise to Abraham that he would have a seed of his own flesh, that through that seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed, that he would be a father of many nations, and his name was changed to Abraham for that reason. And it was God's promise. Abraham did not seek God. God saw Abraham, called him, changed him, and gave him promises and has fulfilled every single one. In the same way, God called us into the means by which we heard the gospel. You didn't stumble across it. You didn't go out of your way to find it. God called you to those means. And as you heard, God gave you inspiration by his spirit. And being alive to see, we accepted and we gave our life and he sealed us with that same spirit. So that God and God alone is the one who is both justified and who justifies. And so now because of his working, which did not start with you, stem from you, or is encouraged, well, maybe encouraged, but definitely not um, held by you. Because of his working, we have been called servant and chosen and friend. Let's look back at verse 9. After he calls us friend, he, his people friend, he says, You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, You are my servant. He says, I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How many times was Israel overrun? and subdued, and sent into captivity? How many times did God's judgment come across the land? And yet in the midst of all these things, God said, do not be mistaken. I have not cast you away. You are mine and I am yours. And God's word stands forever. It does not change. You know, for us, Jesus even tells us in John 15, verse 3, you are already clean, already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And Jesus being the word of God, if he says we're clean already, that means we're clean forever. We simply get dirty feet every now and then. But, you know, I, I happen to remember a story from the Bible where Jesus had a group of his friends uh, surrounding him, and they were about to have a Passover meal or actually, I think they already were having a Passover meal. And they had dirty feet. Jesus doesn't cast out people with dirty feet. He kneels down and he cleans them. So that they can be completely clean. And so God does allow us to go through circumstances. God does allow us to, to um, sometimes feel the experience of our own choices, for sure. You know, 
And sometimes he allows us to go through foreign circumstances so that he can mold us, he can show us who he is, and uh, he can work out those things in our life that are causing separation or that are, are hindering our growth. You know, Jesus says the Father, if you bear fruit, the Father prunes you so you can bear more fruit. That means things have to be snipped away sometimes, but it's for your good. It's never that God has forsaken us or has ill will towards us. It's actually for our good, that we might see him, call out to him, and be drawn back to him. God does not, or Jesus does not cast out people with dirty feet. Again, he said, I have chosen you and have not and will not, we could put there, cast you away. And then in verse 10, he speaks to him, not just, hey, I know your situation's really bad. I know you probably feel a little down right now. You're going through some hard stuff. He doesn't just say, just don't worry, I'm here somewhere, you know. Like, I'm around. Which really, I guess if that's all he said, should be good enough. But he doesn't end it there. He doesn't just say, I haven't forgotten you. In verse 10, he tells us, fear not. Not only have I not cast you away, he says, I am with you. I am in the midst of you. You know, I, I hear a lot, of, uh, a lot of worship bands nowadays and a lot of churches, and I'm not, you know, this isn't necessarily wrong. It's just a little nitpick thing with me, okay? And they stand up and they pray, and I guess I've prayed like this before, so I said it's not, a, not a too big of a deal, but they say, Holy Spirit, come down on us. Holy Spirit, come down on us. And I always stop and I go, where, where did he go? Did he leave? Was there a, is this like Pastor Mark where he told me he was going on vacation and I forgot where? Christ said his spirit who was with his disciples will be in them. And after the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit rests and resides and seals every single believer. So as far as I'm concerned, God's right here. I don't have to call God down. Sometimes I have to ask God just to stir himself up and get me out of the way. And so, in fact, that has been my prayer. Lord, stir up your spirit. Paul says to Timothy, stir up the gifts which God has given you to the laying on the hands. Sometimes we've got to get stirred up. and We've got to remember God is here with you now. I am with you. Fear not. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. And that does not change. He says, I will strengthen you. Anybody feel weak? Rather in your body, in your faith, in your circumstances, you feel like there are things going on that you have no control over? I feel like that a lot. A lot, a lot, a lot. God says, good, I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will not leave you alone. What does Jesus say? I will not leave you as orphans. I will be with you even to the end of the age. I will help you. I'm not just, just remembering you. I'm going to come and give you provision. Trust in me. He says, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Man. God allowed his people to be led off as captives. And who was going to help them? You think the Babylonians were going to go out of their way to help these Jews? They're their slaves. What are they going to do? 
right? You think the other nations are going to help them? No. Who is going to keep these men like Daniel, right, and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego? Who are going to keep these men who are trying in the midst of captivity to give their all, to be faithful to the Lord in the midst of struggles? Who's going who's to help them? Who's going to uphold them and keep them from falling and stumbling? How much easier would it would have been for Daniel and his men to just eat the meat? If you all recall the story. If not, you can go back and read it. It's in there, I promise. Who's going to hold them up in the midst of testing? No one. But God did. God did. And he did it through trials. He did it through unfavorable times, which he allowed and, and even engineered in order that he could cleanse his people. So he could cleanse out, in some cases, those who had never truly trusted in the Lord. New Testament says, not all who are Israel are of Israel. Okay? And in many ways, to turn a, a, a sinful people to repentance. Repentance, which is an action. It's a process. It's a heart change. Never once did God's, the sin of, of the body, the sin of Israel, disqualify them from God's mercy or from God's promise. Never once. And the same thing goes for you. Never once has, is something in your past, in your inability, in your weakness, in your stumbling, disqualified you from the purposes God has for you because none of us were qualified to begin with. If anybody sees a pastor up on stage and you think, man, that's one qualified guy. No. No, 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 no. That's one transforming God. That's all. And God's faithfulness does not falter because of our unfaithfulness. God is holy. You know, that means he's separated. That means he stands also unaffected. Unaffected by the things that we see, the, lacks, the, the things that we think are going to so severely, um, so severely affect our lives and put us into turmoil. God stands unaffected by those things. He's holy. And he's called us to be holy. Part of that means he's called us also to be unaffected by those things. Because the one constant in our lives is the I am who does not change. And his faithful is unwavering. Wherever we might fall, he will uphold us. He will help us back up. Wherever we're weak, God provides the strengthening. Wherever we feel like we don't measure up, where we can't move forward in the face of every fear, God upholds us with his righteous right hand. So, I want to go back to, just for a brief second, those longings of the world we mentioned. Beauty and security and purpose in these things. And not that any of those things are bad, right? But we have to know where to find it, and it's the fact that in our, be our beauty is found as children of God. First and foremost, that our security is found in his provision, in his strength, that our purpose is found in his calling. And then if nothing else, our health. Man, you know we've got the best health, and health policy ever? Because even when this body fades, we live on. We live on forever in the presence of our Lord. 
So let's read through these last few chapter, er, verses, 11 through 13. Behold, all those who are incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing, and those who strive with you shall perish. You shall seek them and not find them. Those who contended with you, those who war against you shall be as nothing as a non-existing thing. But I, the Lord, your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, fear not. I will help you. Man, it's God who leads us through all things if we simply give him our needs, our struggles, and let him guide our life. We have been called not by a spirit of fear, but into a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. Because that spirit is first and foremost from the Lord. It, in fact, is his spirit. Do not fear. He is your help. <coughs> Jesus has called us into life and life more abundantly, even life everlasting. And by the words of his mouth, by his own calling, you have been called a servant. You have been called chosen by him. And you have been called a friend of the living God. And his calling stands forever. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that, Lord, just as today as we leave here and, and we celebrate um, Mother's Day, Father, as we celebrate our, our mothers, um, that you, Lord Jesus Christ, you birth this faith within us. Lord, the word says you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. And it's all from you, Lord. And Father God, that you, uh, you want us to be a holy body. You want us to be sanctified. You want us to live abundantly. And sometimes we have to go through trials. Sometimes we create our own trials um, along the way so that we can become more like you. But through all things, Lord, you are there. You love us. And it's you who will strengthen and protect us. So I pray, Father God, that you would fill everyone in this room with the fruits of your spirit. And that by being filled with love and joy and peace and gentleness and kindness and goodness and long-suffering, that all those things, Father God, that are not of your spirit would be cast off. And we would walk in freedom and remember that as long as we're willing to put our hand into yours, that you will lead us as you always have and always will. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ.